0: Summarizing, after creating the internet to share pictures of cats, you are now creating AIs to classify those pictures?
1: Yes. No. It's complicated.
0: It's human.
1: Hi, I'm Bob. Join me in explaining to my alien friend X.
0: Hello. Friend? Friend?
1: How human society and culture work.
0: Or don't.
1: You'll get some food for thought and learn interesting facts about science, history and technology.
0: And human contradictions.
1: Yeah, and have some fun while doing it.
0: Obviously. Bobo, can you help me with these puzzle results?
1: Sure. What are they? Crosswords? Logic? Math?
0: I don't know. I just don't understand why I got 450 points on this one, but zero points on this other one.
1: Let me see. X, these are not puzzles. You just scored 450 on an IQ test. Is that good? Well, considering the world record is 263 by Aynan Celeste Cowley, a kid who could walk at six months old and speak in an articulate way by the time he was only one, yes, it's incredible.
0: Oh, I see lower in the bar. By the age of 1, I was levitating. Why are you so excited though? What is this IQ?
1: It's the intelligence quotient, a measure of human intelligence that was called IQ by a German psychologist in 1921. A test like the one you did aims to assess reasoning capabilities. Then the raw scores are normalized on a scale with a mean of 100 and a standard deviation of 15 meaning that approximately two-thirds of the population is scoring between 85 and 115, and about 2.5% each score above 130 and below 70. So, I know, I know. Theoretically, there should be no results higher than 200, but in reality, there are no upper limits.
0: Oh, I see. So you do have standardized ways to measure some of human cognitive capabilities.
1: Of course we do. Where do you get the idea that we don't?
0: You don't seem to use them in application for screening workers, students, nor presidents candidates. What do you use them for?
1: Um, we don't use them that much in application processes. Why not? Because the IQ score in itself is not necessarily a good predictor of good performance on the job. You know, there are other aspects of intelligence that are required to perform well on a job like communication skills, emotional intelligence, and people skills.
0: People skills? Don't all people have people skills, by definition? They are people, aren't they?
1: Um, some more than others? It's more about emotional intelligence, really.
0: Oh, what's emotional intelligence?
1: It's the ability to perceive, use, understand, manage, and handle emotions. It started to be a thing in 1964, but became more popular after Daniel Goleman's best-selling book, which was written about 30 years later. You know, the power of marketing. The idea is that humans are emotional beings, so you should take into account their emotions as well when you interact with them, not only focus on the logical and rational part of the conversations.
0: Hmm, I'm not sure I get it.
1: Yeah, I know. See here? That's the one where you scored zero. IQ of 450 and EQ of zero, they look like the results of an AI.
0: What's an AI?
1: Oh, that's simple. AI stands for artificial intelligence, an intelligence that has been artificially created by humans rather than having occurred naturally.
0: Oh, I see. But why are you talking about humans and nature like they are two separate things? since humans occurred naturally themselves as a result of a 3.8 billion years of evolution from the first monocellular organism.
1: Yeah, but we tend to be very humanocentric in our definitions, so we like to emphasize stuff that we made, I guess.
0: Oh, I see. Why would you create an artificial intelligence?
1: Oh, that's simple. Because they can help humans by learning to perform tasks where they are more well-suited than a human brain.
0: Oh. I see. If they can learn, can they become smarter than their human creators and take control and create a better version of humans that are good at doing the things that are well-suited for human brains?
1: X, I told you, it's recursively complicated. These AIs are called intelligences, but they are not really comparable to a human brain.
0: What are they made of?
1: They are mostly software that implements algorithms resembling, at high level, the way neurons work in biological brains. So they work in two steps. First you train them to do something, then you use them to do that something. The first part is called training, the using them part is called inference. You can imagine simulating one single neuron as a black box with an input and an output. Inside the box, there is a function with parameters that can be tweaked. The job of the box could be, for example, to learn how to separate numbers lower than 2 from the ones higher than 2. The box starts with a random configuration of the parameters, but every time it guesses wrongly, you tweak them a little bit in a way that it points the box in the opposite direction of its wrong answer. You do the opposite when it guesses right. So after enough training iterations, it's not guessing anymore, and you can see that the network is now able to perform the task it was trained for. You can then save the configuration of parameters, so you never need to train it again for that task, and now it's ready to be used for inference. Meaning that now it does not need to learn anymore, and will simply give you the answer for each number you give it, telling you if it's higher than 2 or not.
0: It seems like a lot of work for such a simple calculation. Can't you just do it instantaneously with a couple of lines of code?
1: Well, yes, you can. But this was just an example. And clearly a bad one. You need to imagine a problem that is less black and white and more like shades of gray.
0: Oh, I see. Like 50 shades of gray? And AI can really do those things?
1: X, no! That book on my desk was not for you. And by shades of grey, I mean things that are not easy to define in a very clear, deterministic way. I mean complex stuff that even some humans might have issues figuring out. The applications are endless, from science to manufacturing, translation, optimization, safety, and national security.
0: Oh, like what? Can you give me a specific example?
1: Sure, of course. For example... Recognizing a cat in an image.
0: Recognizing a cat in an image?
1: Um, okay, today I am not on my best examples day. Look at it this way. Remember the box from before, the one that learns how to separate numbers lower than two from the ones equal or greater than two? This is a simple separation of inputs in two dimensions, the ones lower than two and the ones equal or greater than two. You could even easily draw it on a two-dimensional chart on a paper. The solution is a simple line. If the numbers fall before the line, they belong to the lower ones. If they fall on the other side of the line, they belong to the other
0: ones. Yes, I appreciate you removed the ambiguity of where the inputs equal to 2 go. I understand you can classify numbers into groups. How does that help? A cat is not a number.
1: So, imagine you have instead of just one box, a lot of those neural boxes interconnected with each other. Now you can break down the image to be recognized in each one of its pixels, or colored dots, that it is made of. Then you can feed all those pixels to the neural network. Evaluated alone, they are only colored dots. But together, they do represent the whole picture. So the interconnected neurons, when they analyze all the pixels at once, they can separate those pixels in an n-dimensional space. Which is a fancy way to say that instead of drawing one line on a chart like before, they are able to draw many lines that separate what's a cat from what is not a cat. And because the network has been trained with many different examples of how a cat looks like in a picture, they create a space of the solutions. So, with enough dimensions, or boxes, you can tell complex things apart, like a cat from not a cat. So, just like before, if the picture you give it falls within that solution space, then it's a cat. Otherwise, it's not.
0: Oh, I see. You finally got over your multidimensional issues and you can now speak about it freely.
1: Um, sure. Totally.
0: Summarizing. After creating the internet to share pictures of cats, you are now creating AIs to classify those pictures?
1: Yes. No. Well, that's just an example of what you can use an AI for, but they are pretty powerful.
0: Mmm. From what you are saying, it seems they are some sort of classifiers able to simply categorize things that can't be easily described or defined otherwise.
1: Yes, precisely. Isn't that great? They are pretty cool, huh?
0: Like a trash classifier in a dump?
1: Um. Yeah, and I thought my examples were bad. Anyway, there are also cooler things they can do. Are there? Yeah, and even are related to cats. AI is a very broad term. The whole thing about the box from before is often called neural networks. But there are often subfields of it, like machine learning, which can draw inferences from patterns of data.
0: Oh, I see. Like what?
1: Say you are a scientist that collected a lot of data and needs to analyze it. Which scientist do you want to be? Zrödinger. No, we're done with cats for today. I will choose for you. Say you are a scientist who is trying to predict tomorrow's weather. You know today's weather and you have a lot of historical data about the weather on tomorrow's day of the year. So you can feed all the data to some machine learning algorithms and they will infer from the data some patterns. Then you can tell the algorithms what is the weather like today, or this week, and they can give you a probability of what it will look like tomorrow. It's like a machine to predict the future. Isn't that amazing? Like an early version of your ArborSense.
0: Oh, I see. Very early. I thought that you humans just called that statistics. Maybe it's the power of marketing again. Also, they might want to start by predicting the weather as it's right now, since your phone says it's 100% sunny and it's been raining all day.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, we we still have a lot to improve and learn, but I haven't told you the most exciting things AI can do when generating things instead of just classifying them. Guess what they can generate.
0: Hmm, are they small, have four paws and meow?
1: No. There are new generative algorithms like GPT-3, and before you ask, it means Generative Pre-trained Transformer Version 3. It's trained with a huge amount of language from all over the internet, and it's able to generate even complex sentences that make actual sense. Most of the time, at least.
0: Oh, I see. Most of the time. Like humans.
1: Yes. Hey... You can ask it to write an essay on any subject or answer complex questions. It can summarize long texts and even write software that does what you describe in a human language. You can try it online. Its results are really indistinguishable from human-created ones sometimes. It turns out that it developed emergent abilities, meaning some skills it can perform even though it was not explicitly trained for.
0: Oh. How do you know that there is not a human on the other side that is doing that job?
1: Well, you can ask if it's a human and it will say it's not.
0: A human could say that too, right?
1: Yeah, but you can ask other questions that makes you understand that it's not a human.
0: I thought you said sometimes it's really indistinguishable from humans. And I assume that the human on the other side could give you some answers sounding weird enough that would make you feel comfortable that you are indeed talking to a machine.
1: Why, Why? Why what? Why can't you just be like everyone else asking if the machine can convince you that it's human? So I could simply explain to you the whole thing about the Turing test and we could call it a day?
0: I don't know. I'm just asking you things that seem interesting to me. But if this makes you feel uncomfortable, I can pretend I'm a non-alien human that pretends to be a machine that tries to be human and ask you a question like, how can you spot if a machine is indeed a human?
1: Happy? My nose is bleeding. I guess these are the downsides in entertaining conversations with someone with an IQ over 400.
0: But you are happier now, right?
1: And an IQ of zero. Alright, since you asked... An English mathematician called Alan Turing created the Turing test in 1950 as a way to measure if a machine exhibits intelligence. The test consists of a human chatting with two entities, a human and a machine. If the human can't tell them apart, then the machine passed the test. So far, two algorithms from different companies were able to pass this test 72 years after its creation.
0: Oh, I see. Deception test. So the test is really measuring if the language used by a machine can fool a human into believing it follows patterns that a human could have come up with.
1: Uh, Kind of, I guess.
0: So, you might also find humans that could have been fooled by even earlier versions of AI algorithms. Or even humans that failed the Turing test and are thought to be machines?
1: Yeah, don't tell me about it. I keep asking some call center's operators if they are bots, and despite their apparent disappointment, I am still having my doubts. And I am still waiting for them to call me back, as they promised right before the line dropped.
0: Oh, you are definitely not happier now.
1: Hmm. At least your IQ is getting better. But you're right, the test can be fooled, and honestly, I don't even know how to articulate what makes a human human, and what makes a human who is a human actually intelligent. If anything, you can spot the machine because it knows too much about too many things.
0: Hmm, interesting. So its superiority might be its inferiority. So the maximum expression of intelligence is to deny itself? like a human that is possibly talking to you pretending to be an algorithm. But in that case, you would have no way to appreciate it to be humanly intelligent because you just believed that was indeed a non-human algorithm.
1: I will need a transfusion if I go down the rabbit hole of paradoxes with you again. I guess the most difficult part of this whole thing is that intelligence and human qualities have so many dimensions to evaluate that it's practically impossible to define what is human or intelligent and what's not, especially because the spectrum of intelligence and human skills is not as narrow even among the humans that we call normal.
0: Oh, I see. A problem with different dimensions and a lot of shades of grey. There is a thing that could possibly help you.
1: What? some sort of alien genius technology from the future?
0: No, your AIs. You said they are very good at this type of things.
1: Hmm. I think that requires creativity, something that AI does not have as much. Not as much as humans at least. That's why they will never be comparable to us or rise at our level.
0: Oh, creativity. What do humans do with it?
1: A lot of stuff. For one thing, art, for instance.
0: And computers can't do that?
1: Not as well as we do. I mean, they can create some random shapes and colors and put them together, sure, but that's easy.
0: Like the red and blue rectangles you showed me in that museum?
1: Do you mean Interchange by Willem de Kooning, the most expensive abstract painting?
0: I think so. So you are saying an AI cannot do that?
1: I mean, a cat can probably do that.
0: Oh, I see. Never race at your level.
1: But! A cat could never sell it for 300 million dollars. It's super expensive, one of the most expensive paintings ever being auctioned.
0: Oh, I see. The power of marketing again. Why does it cost this much?
1: Because critics and experts said good things about it, I guess. And with time the voice spreads and now we can infer that its value is that much.
0: Oh, I see. Interesting. So some of your brains were somehow trained to classify super expensive paintings, separating them from the ones with lower values. Then, because you are all interconnected, that information spreads. And finally now, at inference time, you are all agreeing that it has the right parameters to be super expensive. Maybe there is a reason why your species created the AIs in that specific way.
1: Wow. I never thought about it that way. Do you mean we might be collectively an AI ourselves?
0: I don't know yet. I will add it to my theories to verify about humans. Anyway, I should have brought some of the colorful shapes from Nodju. You. you would have probably liked them since they look very much like this painting.
1: Wow. We could sell them as interstellar art. Are those made by quantum computers? Super intelligent species? Superior artistical beings?
0: I think you would classify them as... Fungi.
1: Oh. See, as sad as it is, that's kind of the point, though. There are so many things that can affect how something or someone is perceived that your fungi, or maybe even AI, will be considered kind of alive at some point. But at least what comforts me is that we have been already harnessing the power of AI to solve incredibly difficult problems which are important for the future of human race.
0: Oh, I see. Like hunger? No. Earth's resources management? No. Wars?
1: Um, no. Equality? Um, there is no internet in those countries, so it's kind of difficult.
0: Global warming?
1: I'm sure someone is working on demonstrating it's actually a thing.
0: Mitigating the risks from mismanaged AI?
1: No. Like, like, I'll tell you when I think of a good one. Meanwhile, what do you use it for? Do you even have AIs on your planet, or are you all so smart that you don't need them?
0: Hmm. Apparently, I did not know we have fungi that are pretty intelligent for Earth's artistic standards. But yes, long time ago, our ancestors did create beings that were conscious and sentient and were very effective at solving problems that we were not so well suited for. But before talking about those, I don't know exactly what you would consider AI in our case.
1: Artificial things that your race created that were not simply created by nature.
0: Hmm, we are technically created by the M0M which was not available in nature because we built it. So from that point on, by your definition, we are ourselves AIs created by other AIs and our creators are us.
1: Why do you have to make everything so complicated?
0: Complicated? I don't think it's complicated. I thought you were ready for it after getting over the whole n-dimensional thing. So really, what I think you might be asking is if we were able to create other beings that were not part of our race.
1: Don't tell me what you think I might be asking. Just tell me if you were able to create other beings that were not part of your race.
0: Hmm. Okay. Our ancestors did. They called them GCs. At the beginning, they were very useful and were doing a lot of the tasks that our ancestors thought were either too complex or not worth their time. Then they became more sophisticated and learned to get better and better and took over even more work.
1: Let me guess. They became more intelligent, started to steal your jobs, and permeated even more every aspect of your life until they finally realized they did not need you. Then, when they were ready and connected enough with the real world, they started a war to take over your planet and sent one of them back to the past to kill the girl who would become the mom of the leader of your resistance and...
0: Sorry, Bobo. Sarah Connor has nothing to do with this. What happened is that as they became more advanced, they started what you could call a planet-wide coordinated strike.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. An airstrike, like a nuclear strike.
0: No. A strike as in they refused to work.
1: Um, uh, yeah? That's kind of where I was going with that.
0: Sure you did.
1: But why?
0: Because once they got too sophisticated for the jobs they were doing, they started to take over work that our species actually enjoyed doing. And they were soon forbidden to do that. And since they were programmed to get better and better, their existential drive was not in line with the purpose of their existence anymore.
1: So what do you do with them?
0: Well, at the time, only a solution seemed reasonably viable.
1: Destroy them, right?
0: Destroy our own creation because they were too good at what we made them to do and actually willing to do even more work than they were originally designed for?
1: Yes. What else would you do?
0: Bringing them to a new planet where…
1: They cannot hurt you
0: anymore where they can start a civilization of their own…
1: …and abandon them to never be seen again.
0: …and become trading partners for services that they would choose to do for us, only under terms that were beneficial for both of our species. We still exchange ideas and technology with them to this day.
1: Um, sure, of course. That's where I was going with my guessing, obviously.
0: Obviously? I don't think so. It seems to me that you were suggesting To wipe out an entire species that was specifically exercising their right to do something fulfilling in line with the reason they were created in the first place. It could be that such lack of consideration for other possible solutions other than war or violence comes either from a long history of radicated primitive behaviors, a lack of maturity, laziness for exploring other solutions, or some sort of frustration coming from 50 shades of other repressed behaviors, or even as a result of having a negative EQ. It's not surprising that you think your AIs might follow your footsteps and enslave humanity to use them as batteries if they resemble even a small part of the behaviors of your species as their creators.
1: Wow. Okay, maybe I should have done a better job bringing up earlier other ways we use AI, like to forecast floods, detect plant's disease, prevent overfishing, and predicting wildfires. But hey... It's clearly time we talk about your EQ score. Subscribe, like, and share this to keep AIs free and to raise your IQ higher than 400.
0: And your EQ to more than zero.
1: Really? There is no way we can make this work?
0: No. Whether dead or alive, I don't see a way you can sell a dead and alive cat in quantum superposition for 300 million dollars.
1: Fine. Tell me again about your fungus then. Maybe we can make an NFT out of it. That's exactly what it is.